0: You're listening to Help for Mothers, the podcast that helps mothers with health, education, love, and protection. I'm Keisha Chiapanelli, a human rights lawyer and lactation consultant. Together with my co host, Augustine Colebrook, a maternal child health investigator and midwife, we outline the problems and solutions to the maternity health crisis in the United States. Today, we get to hear an interview between Augustine and two birth biomechanic chiropractors in California as they discuss how parents navigate the challenge of discovering your baby is laying
1: breech at the end of your pregnancy. Let's listen in. so welcome to another edition of help for mothers we are a podcast that aims to help mothers with health education love and protection and today i have the great pleasure of speaking to two mega experts in the field of helping mamas be comfortable um be prepared be informed and also um address uh, a situation at the end of pregnancy when a baby might be laying breach so let's do intros first Um, Anne, can I ask you to introduce yourself? Who are you? Where are you? What do you do?
0: Sure, I'm Dr. Anne Lundquist. Um, I'm in Southern California, the city of Orange. I've been a chiropractor for 30 years and seen pregnant women my entire career. I've always, loved working with pregnant women and trying to help them have better outcomes and be more comfortable during pregnancy as well, because I think that all works together. And I love spinning babies. I love the ICPA. There's a lot of information out there and a lot of resources both for providers, but also for parents.
1: Awesome. Thank you for joining us today. And we also have the great pleasure of having Caitlin with us. Caitlin, will you introduce yourself? Who are you? Where are you? What do you do?
2: Hi, I'm Caitlin Clark. I'm also a chiropractor. I have exclusive practice, which is just for prenatal and birth. And I'm in Santa Cruz, California, although I also do birth in Monterey, I attend births also as a doula as well. Uh, in um, Monterey, Santa Cruz, and Santa Clara County. And I've been my first doula birth was thirty years ago this year. <laughs> uh, and I've been That's amazing. Pastor. Yeah. I didn't do it all, you know, I had other things going on in my life, but it wasn't Executive, but um, yeah, thirty years, and I, uh, I also do a lot of advocacy work and a lot of access work as well. And I've been a chiropractor for twenty something years.
1: Amazing! Well, we're so happy to have both of you on the call and on our little presentation. It's so exciting today. Um, we're going to aim to answer the question: What if my baby is breech? And so um, that is a worry for many um, around the United States, around the world. Um, Babies don't always read the books. They don't always know (laughs) the path to take that's generally easiest. And honestly, some of them have a wisdom we don't even understand, that that is the easiest position for them. So it's a very interesting and broad subject to try to unpack. And uh, birthing people, uh, mamas who come into this situation, don't always have the benefit of lots of advice, lots of guidance, lots of research, Um, and now more than ever with a shelter in place order in place for 95% of Americans, they can't get to the care that they want, they can't get to advisors or support um, uh, counselors or body workers. Um, And so um, some of them aren't even able to get to their regular providers as we've seen prenatal care diminished significantly. So this, um, this conversation is particularly important um, right now, but all the time, because babies will always be born, and some of them, approximately two to four percent, will not be head down at term. And so that's what we're going to chat about today. Um, let's start first with uh, how, how do we even find this out? How would a mom discover this? Um, yeah, go for it, now.
0: Well, first of all, you might find out for the first time really late in pregnancy. Sometimes um, when things are normal, not in this COVID world we live in, uh, parents won't be told until it's basically time to make a decision about, you know, scheduling their C-section or scheduling something called a version, where they try to turn the baby manually. An uh, obstetrician would do that. So sometimes people don't really even have an option for very much time, or at least they don't feel like they do. People oftentimes have more options than they are presented uh what's kind of interesting I love too, that is I was my mom's yeah. uh, third child um I was her only unmedicated birth um in California, and I was a vaginal birth breech. so oh wow, that small percentage and feel called to this work for sure
1: that's awesome, yeah, you started from the very beginning researching this topic that's yep. fantastic <laughs> <He's> <laughs> <set> out right <laughs> that's awesome um. Kaylin, will you tell us if if a mom is
3: seeing a chiropractor, it, would
1: the chiropractor
3: tell her her baby's breech? No, chiropractors don't diagnose position, but what we do, what we do is we work with them on learning how to belly map their own belly. So, um, and that's one of the things that the Spinning Babies organization that both Anne and I are very involved with with uh, teaches as well. So we can teach them how to kind of try to start figuring out themselves in terms of um, the spinning baby belly mapping. And uh, we can also encourage them. We do. There's some, like for example, most home birth midwives are checking for position all along. I mean, even before they can feel position, they want to be checking for tone of the uterus and everything. So uh, that's usually who refers earlier, or home birth uh, midwives And uh, later, it's usually that when we get more referrals from OBs, because they, it's just not part of their practice to be necessarily concerned about. Um, about positioning that early, so what we do is if we are working with people earlier on and they're not working with providers necessarily helping in a lot, we can encourage them how to go and talk to their provider and ask them to start doing that. That's and awesome. Of course, the, yeah. The only the, the only way to 100% firm position, of course, is all the sounds.
1: So there's still a right.
3: It's right. That's really, what I was going to
1: say. Oftentimes, um. A mom will find out that her baby is breached at an ultrasound, and of course, the, the the really curious thing about the U.S. healthcare system is that when you go get an ultrasound, it's ordered from a primary care provider. So the ultrasound tech doing the actual scan can't give any medical information. So even though in the scan it might be incredibly obvious that there is in fact a head up under her ribs, um, the the OB, the ob ultrasound tech can't usually confirm that. So so moms will oftentimes leave like distressed without really anyone to counsel them, not knowing what really is the case. And and the poor text, I mean, oftentimes they'll be like, I can't tell you, I'm sorry, it's a liability thing. And it makes it so disorienting for those mamas leaving those OB appointments, um, going to find out theoretically at an ultrasound, but then going to the ultrasound and not being given the full information or or just being able to piece together what they can visually see on the screen, that's kind of their first diagnosis. So I want to start from that place because even in high hands-on midwifery practices, we still always confirm the diagnosis with ultrasound. This is going to be the vast majority of cases are going to find out through the ultrasound. So I want to start with this place. Um, From your both incredibly learned and longtime experience, opinion, um, and and clinical um, knowledge base, uh, what's the first thing? Like, take us from that spot. Like, um, a mom is laying on the table. It's obvious her baby, that bump under her rib that she thought was the head or that someone else thought was the head is the head. The baby's bum is down in her pelvis. Um, Take us through, like, what happens next first? What should she do?
0: I always want to talk about the fact, too, that the baby has to choose. Right? The baby's mm-hmm. the one that chooses the position. So, if we can add ease um, through using chiropractic care and some of the spinning babies technique to add balance to the ligaments, we're going to give the baby more options that they still have to choose.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Caitlin, talk to us about the emotional situation that that, that brings up for people. Sure. You, yeah. You've dealt with many. I mean, you've gotten many a, a freaked out phone call at that exact moment. Tell I, us what have- happened.
3: I I field several phone calls, um, sometimes several a day for uh, people with brief babies. And so this is speaking more from my doula perspective. That's when I do these concept calls that would go a little bit differently than seeing a a person for chiropractic. I usually work with them for both. But my first uh, interaction with them is usually on the phone when I do get the freaked out phone call, uh, very justifiably freaked out. What I try to do just at first is help the client get grounded to stop, take some breaths, and to start this really it can be a very difficult process of making these big decisions, with sometimes with very little time. So it's important to, to stop and bring everybody back as much as we can. Uh, sometimes you're in, and many people are really in crisis mode at that point. So to strategize with the client about what, how can we first get you in a place where you can make a decision and where you're feeling safe and, and cared for. What I have found is uh, there's a couple things that I, I talked to them about first. One is, I, you know, when you take, like, I, I, I've done a lot of trauma and grief um, care, especially surrounding birth. But what I found is, and I know that grief uh, care is much more complex than this, but just those basic, you know, when you take, like, 101 and they tell you the, the five stages of grief that are, like, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Those are the things that I see, and you don't have to go in a straight line, bounce all around. Uh, those are the things that I see happen when people are calling. So it's it really to acknowledge, first of all, that it for very many people and, and for their partners and maybe even for other members of the family, it is a real mourning process. They're either grieving the birth that they wanted to have. It could have been a birth that they've been dreaming of since you know forever, or they're grieving um, in some other way, many people are blaming themselves. That's part of this bargaining, the bargaining thing. If they'll do, oh, God, if I had only known I would have been doing spinning babies 28 weeks, now that I'm on their website, I know that that would have been good. I would have seen a chiropractor, day one, I would have done this, 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 and that. And the first thing I like to do is really tell them it's not their fault. None of this is anything that they should have known to do. The fault lies with us, with prenatal care providers and with our system that's not integrated. So we're not having OBs necessarily know about biomechanics. It's not, it's not necessarily that they don't believe that it work or whatever, or that they don't care. It's just that we aren't educated. So they don't know that they need to be um, maybe sending people's body workers much earlier, focusing on prevention, letting their um, clients know earlier on that they expect to be Because there is stuff that can be done by other providers before stuff that they Which is the ECV? But but that
1: requires collaborative care, but we don't work in collaborative care. So that's that's really the problem. I love how you highlight that.
3: Yes, it does, and there is. I mean, there's some places that do work in collaborative care. I've got OPs in my area who I can call up to talk to.
1: There's many doulas and carpenters and in. But you've established those connections, yeah, in the system, the United States healthcare system,
3: yeah. So There's no it's so collaboration. Broken. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I so I first try to address the emotional component of this, I and mean, sometimes people call me and they're like, I don't want to talk about my feelings; I just want to know what to do. And I'm, That's fine. I give them some tips, but um, I I try and kind of bring it back because I earlier in my career I had um, regrets where I didn't really focus on uh, the decision making process and helping helping them make informed decisions. As it's the extent that I thought it was it was really necessary to, and I got a couple phone calls, you know, years later, being like, I feel like I didn't know about this. I didn't know that this was an option. And I was like, I told you that vaginal breach if you want to travel was an option, or I told you that a cesarean, a it was costco was an option, but they weren't in the right headspace at that time because um, they were in a place of grief, and you don't you don't uh, you don't recall information or retain information. You retain a small fraction of So I've really changed kind of how I help the process and how I provide these. We also talked a little bit about sympathetic overload, which we don't have time right now to go into the chiropractic, the neurology of chiropractic and all how phenomenal that is. But uh, I do find that most of my clients like me are in this uh, sympathetic overload state, which most people have heard of fight or flight um, or freeze. There's another part that, Researchers have been studying called fawning, another F, fawn. And this is the tendency to kind of give in to authority uh, or perceived authority figures. So you kind of fawn over somebody who may may or may not actually be worthy of that that behavior and and say yes to things
1: you might not say yes to typically. And then later on, yeah, it's right. a coping mechanism, it's just coping like mechanism. flight or fight. Yeah, yeah. it's, right, it's right. not really conscious, it's, right. it's an autonomic response. Right. I love that you bring this up. It's a big so part of my awareness, too. It's yeah. brilliant. So,
2: so, so when someone is
1: fawning, do. yeah, so when someone is fawning, oftentimes, um, just to point this out a little more because it's, yeah. it's kind of a new concept for some people, right. they are saying, Oh, yes, okay, thank you, doctor. Okay, scheduled on Tuesday. Okay, that, that's thank you so much for discovering this. I'm so glad. And then they leave and they're like, wait a second. Did I just agree to a C-section?
3: What? Wait, what? what? Yeah. Or or what's actually scarier, Augustine, is when they do that, but they don't do the processing. Did I just agree to a C-section? until after the C-section.
0: Right, Uh,
3: right. processing takes a really long time. Right,
0: right. And it's
3: trauma. And we know now that trauma is usually not processed when you're experiencing the trauma. It's more about just acknowledging that you're going through the trauma then. So you know that something's going on and you need to get your your uh, support system together for when you're ready to process the drug. So uh, yes, that's the first thing that I do. And then this next thing that I do is I usually walk them through the entire spectrum uh, of their options. And this is from an advocacy standpoint. As a partner, I can certainly also advocate for my clients. But this is more of a doula advocacy position. So we go through all of the options and they're different depending on where you are. So it's important to find a consultant who's local for you. So we go through everything from their right to an unassisted birth, which is not necessarily something that I agree with at all, but I just go through all of their options, all the way over to a um, planned scheduled caesarean and the different types of caesareans they, they plan, what the different providers that we have in the area along that whole spectrum. And in the middle, there's things like a um, trial before cesarean, which some people, a lot of people have never even heard that that could be something that they do, Uh, and all of the other things in between, so that I know that the beginning, they, I've done my due diligence, that they are aware of the full spectrum of asthma, and I just kind of breeze through those very quickly, and then ask them, right now, what are the things that you're the most interested in, and they say, oh, I know I never would do, uh, I never would do that. I don't care if the best hospital in the country. I don't want to do a vaginal freak. I want to do everything I want to do right now to get the baby to turn um, on my own. And then a week from now, I want to do a PCV if that doesn't work. So then we focus in on those things. And we also talk about how a lot of people with babies, um, once they start the information gathering process, will change their mind several times. That's fine, too. That's part of the process. We kind of have a plan A. See. It's like to choose your own. those old books where you choose your own history. You know? Yeah, that's <laughs> the great. If, that's... F- X page. Uh
1: so, so those are that's that's great. Where I start out. Well, Caitlin, can I ask you to um just sort of clarify a little bit and 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 jump in here anytime and certainly um, you know, as as a healthcare provider I could as well, but I'm enjoying interviewing you both. So <laughs> I'm gonna ask the questions. <laughs> um so I, I love the way that you help us understand that grief is a part of this. Um, but uh, for those that are, are really this is so new to them what are they grieving like help us understand why this changes birth so much
3: uh there's so much that they're grieving most the, the biggest thing is really the loss of the birth that they were planning yeah. so even if they were planning a medicated birth or a or an induction or whatever they were still planning a vaginal birth like very few people plan a cesarean um just especially first you know they, it's, it's very rare for somebody to just be like and not very oh, many oh, people
1: opt right. first abdominal so, surgery
3: right, right yeah unindicated so, hey, yeah. right yeah so the biggest thing is really this loss of this dream birth and like you know many people i work with are planning uh they their goal is to have an unmedical birth so they're they're also losing that they might have been watching you know documentaries and listening to their friends and reading i didn't make Gaskin books and doing all the stuff that they have read all these birth stories they're dreaming about and then all of a sudden they are being told that it's not an option to have that it, it always is it might involve the traveler various other things but um they're being told that that there's no way usually. they're just said okay we're, we may or may not do a PCV if you want one and then we'll schedule there and uh they're also grieving the loss of power yeah. so if you walk in and somebody says you know your baby is you know, your baby's heads up so let's schedule a parent. They don't give you any, and then the, often I'll hear back that the birthing first person first say, Don't I have any options other than the. And they say, Oh, you can try acupuncture, or you can, you know, you can try
1: these things, do some. And that's in whatever. California.
3: I'm just yeah, going to say, the, That's um, in California. Yeah. In
1: Alabama, <laughs> they're probably not saying you can try acupuncture. You know, and, like. Well, so there's some amazing
3: jewelers in Alabama, so I'm sure yeah, they're That's true, in but, the, but the
1: OB, the yeah, OB yes, probably yes, isn't yes, saying so that, I, you know.
3: I don't know, because I don't work in, in Alabama, but. Um, so and yeah. and that's and just an, not, an example, <laughs> yeah. not bashing
1: on Alabama.
3: There <laughs> really are great, yeah. you know? Anyway, uh anyway, so, but even here, there's such a big, it, it there's a huge discrepancy in what they're being told um, in terms of options. So they're often, are not told all of their options, hardly ever do I have anybody who's planning a hospital birth come in and say, hey, I heard that there's a great OB in different parts of the state that I can go. Obi told me that they don't say that they say, Yeah, you have to be five, like, there. that's your right. So, well, so let's take that that power with them that part of what they're reading as well.
1: Yeah, and that is such an important point. And I want to actually pause the breach conversation if we can to talk about this little highlighted problem oh. in the maternity care in the United States um, because you two function outside the system, and so because of that, you have a really great vision of the whole as opposed to those that are very in the system and can only see, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. They're very in it. You both have a very broad perspective. Um, and this is is a really pervasive problem in the U.S. of not getting um, true informed decisions, true informed counsel around options. And so I just, first of all, I see you both shaking your heads, which means I see that you also see this problem. And I, might, I wonder, like, for those that that are encountering this or don't even know they're encountering this, what's, like, in this pause moment on all issues where we might not be getting full story, what, what recommendations do you have for pregnant people in searching for, for options?
0: First of all, you don't have to go along with everybody's first recommendation. There's the whole thing about what you're allowed to do inside certain systems, and you don't have to stay inside the system you're at, and you can look for alternatives, even if your provider is not providing it to you. Um, some very restrictive systems in my area, if you just ask a question, they roll over completely. This hmm. is how it is. And then you go, well, can't I do that? And they're like, oh, yeah, you can do that. You know? So That's
3: so have
1: interesting. They to research
0: it themselves sometimes.
1: My, my co-host, Keisha Chiapinelli, um, says all, all the time her favorite quote is, the squeaky wheel gets the, the the grease, you know, the squeaky wheel. So she's like, so be a squeaky wheel. The right. more you ask, the more you talk, the more you're like, um, but, um, but, um, but someone's going to pay attention. And this is what you're saying too.
0: Yeah. What are my other options? Yeah. It never hurts to ask. And you can ask different providers inside the same system because oftentimes they're seeing different people on different days.
3: Yeah. Know?
0: And I, yeah. I, also,
3: if you have, a, because a lot of people who are, who just found out their baby is, is breech or under a big time crunch. They really don't have a lot of time to do a lot of research. So finding a consultant like Anna and I do that work. There's a lot of doulas who specialize in working with people um, who have breech or twins or be back or know things that are that they might not have provided all their options. To reach out to those people in the community, they can help. We can help streamline. Right now, I know a lot of us are doing uh, during COVID. With people who don't have regular paychecks are doing pay what you can or pay later. So it, there's no, really no reason right now, um, to, to reach out. There's also, there's some great resources online for learning about your rights. One of them that's absolutely phenomenal is the birth of monopoly website. There's a class on there called, it's
1: literally called no right.
3: <laughs> so awesome. Take that. It goes through the we'll link rights.
1: that in the, in the show notes. Thanks for that. Yeah,
3: and there's uh, and there's uh, the Coalition for Bridge First Facebook page. So if you're someplace where you don't even know, you know, where to start finding a somebody who can consult with you on advocacy, you could go on there and um, you need to like uh, answer a few questions. And then you could write, I'm looking for somebody who knows about options in Detroit. Can is there anybody on here who can help me out? So there's there are things that you can do uh, to be Educated in the but in California, uh, we do find that ultimately most places will support the patient's right. It's just like Ann said. If they aren't doing it and you question them about it, then sometimes they're like, "Oh yeah, now we can do it." So it's an off-policy for their hospital. So to go off-policy, they have my ability attached to it, and they need to be told, "You know, I'm not going to do that." So you're we're gonna to have to come up with something else, and then they're like,
1: "Oh, okay." Um, so that's right. just, yeah. that's that's a very interesting distinction. Well, thank you for those tidbits. I I, I appreciate both of you. You're such advocates in your communities, and um, we are all of us involved in helping to grow advocates all over the country. So thank you for that. Um. So, so okay. So somebody has found out that they have a breech position baby at the end of their pregnancy. They have made a frantic call or a frantic. Google, Facebook search for like, how can I get resources? Um, they've found someone who's like, you don't have to just have a scheduled cesarean. Um, you can have, you, there are other options. Um, and they go, okay, what, where, when, how, how what is this? Um, how, walk us through the steps. And I know this, this conversation, like when I talk with my, um, you know, community based clients, um, this is always, it's such a time crunch. Because we find out at thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, you're already in the due window. Like you could go into labor any moment. Um and some of uh, some of them don't find out until uh, the week before they're due or their due date, right? Forty plus um, five. Yeah. Yeah, right. Or, or plus thirty <laughs> days. Um there's like you literally have maybe an hour to make a decision, maybe a day to make a decision. If you're really lucky, you have a week to make your decision. Um and that's an extreme amount of stress and research. So let's break it down in case someone um, is searching for this info. Um, what are the options? And let's talk from least rigmarole and wild experience to the most. So, first of all, I found out my baby breech. I have more than an hour. What can I? Do? I do love spitting babies. They have okay. On yes. It is
0: a very so this possible.
1: is the. This is my first recommendation too. go to Spinning Babies. So both of you happen to be Spinning Babies um, providers, educators, um, and tell us, what is the website? Uh, what do they look for? Like literally, what do they hit in the search bar? How do they get to the info that you're talking about?
3: So just, I'm going to default to Ann for this oh. because I, I am a, I am a Spinning Babies trained uh, body worker and, okay. and that's that same track. And also I have a lot of training on working one-on-one with clients. Anne is actually, also, it, she's got all that and she's a spinning baby parent educator. So she yes. uh, she works she works with clients and they're doing some really exciting things online now. Uh, but that's the first thing that I have people do. Sometimes their babies turn before they even come in for the appointment. And I'm like, you should still come in though. because you yeah. really uh, So the, the, you want to go over some of those? Uh, like the yeah, and tell us like,
1: what, what do they, do? like I want to be really nuts and bolts. Like they go on to spinningbabies.com. Spinning there's,
0: there's a whole bunch of stuff you can read about, but if you want to make it really simple, click on the shop button and go to the ebook, which is about a mm-hmm. breach. Uh, uh, I, I got it. So I have to look it up. Just it's just called a breach book. It's the breach book. Yeah. Well, there's one that's the flip thing about breach births, but then there's a downloadable book for parents. It is ten dollars. It's nine ninety five. You know, it's like yeah. a, a nothing. They could charge so much more. It's very yeah. easy to read. It goes over the activities really well that parents would use at home, and it goes over a plan on how to use those over the course of how much time do you have? You know, how much yeah. time do you have? Do it like this. You have less time. Do it like that. You can't do that. Do this. It's just very very um, friendly to parents, and you can do this. You can do this stuff at home. Um, The devil's in the details a little bit. I tell parents, um, done badly, these activities are very helpful. Done correctly, they're magical.
3: (laughs) Wow. Wow,
0: that's awesome. So I let's go over them with parents, if I at all can. Um, Knowing that um, in in the U.S., the Department of Homeland Security has uh, said that chiropractors are essential. So most states still have chiropractors practicing. And most of our perinatal chiropractors are still in practice, even if it's not as many days as normal. Now, the question is, are people comfortable coming to us? Um, the people I talk to and in my office, uh, we are uh, instituting extreme hygiene. And I'm finding patients are coming to me, telling me that I am the only place they're going to outside their home. They're not, you know, pr- late pregnancy. They're not going shopping. They're hardly going to the OB. If all on the phone almost but they're coming to me so um that makes yeah and
1: it's really that's it's yeah it's awesome and and it it actually makes a lot of sense um it's not actually um a whim or like privilege it's actually it is essential because we all know that the more time you spend in a hospital and the more interventions you get in a hospital the more at risk you are for everything so decreasing hospitalization, decreasing cesareans actually saves lives. And we know this on every level of policy and government and research and et cetera, et cetera. So um, helping the body, the baby choose a head down position absolutely actually saves lives. So we'll talk about actual breach birth in a little bit, but from the top down, uh, that is the smartest thing you can do. So I, I love to hear that, that people are doing that even now in this crazy time. And I love to hear that chiropractors are essential and that is offered. So that's fantastic. Um, so uh, so the Spinning Babies website, lots of info there. The Breach Book for parents, lots of info there. That'll give you a good guidebook for how to start. Um, and then I'm going to ring the bell for chiropractic. Yeah, <laughs> That's why I have you both here because I've seen it absolutely miracle over the, the 20 years I, I practiced um, uh, seen patients many many breaches over the years um have been have been resolved uh with with that amazing bodywork care so um if they can see a chiropractor, that is one of the first steps um, will you tell us what you do when they come to see you what, what 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 could someone expect if they've never seen a chiropractor, what are you doing um can I just jump in real quickly first yeah. to
3: say, um, Caitlin, you go are- for it where when you're looking for a chiropractor, not all chiropractors work with, uh, with people with breech babies and not all chiropractors are trained in that just like, I'm not someone want to see if you're in a car accident. That's not my specialty. So personal injury, I, and even just like basic pain relief is not my specialty. So but birth by a mechanic is my specialty. And there's ways that you find people who are specifically trained in that. The very like the absolute basic training in my opinion and I'd love to hear what Ann thinks about this too would be the ICPA certification for Webster that is the absolute min. and I'm not talking about like that's the minimum training right. in uh in prenatal that anybody seeking a prenatal carpenter should they that the carpenter should at least have that and hopefully way more than that uh, those of us who specialize in this like Anna myself we are at so many trainings we go to many um many thousands of, of hours of trin- yeah of we go continuing to trin- it. That, yeah yeah but we yeah. go to trainings that other power projects wouldn't go to like we go to like midwifery trainings that's anything that has to do with first biomechanics we go to so um it's important to you know kind of know what you're looking for on the ICPA well, can- website there, that's where you can go to search for somebody in your area it's icpa 4 kidscom and there's a doctor search and you can search by zip code and find out what their certifications is are, and you're looking for a again, minimum of a Webster
1: certification. That's awesome. Uh, and that, I will put that link on the show notes as well. But um, I just had this thought like, because chiropractics are so special, have such specialties, we don't hear about that often. They kind of get lumped into one thing. Right. Um, Caitlin, I kind of think you've pioneered this new term, birth biomechanic, um, birth biomechanism. And I, yeah, Anne's agreeing. I, I heard this first a couple of years ago out of your mouth and it's it's been like ringing around in my head. Um because I as as a as a midwife, I also am deeply invested in understanding the mechanism of birth, how baby and mom's soft and bony tissues work together to complete this process. And so the the the, the word makes a lot of sense to me. Will you define it for us, like what, what you have coined here? Because I think it's, it's actually pioneering an entirely new collaboration and specialty that we don't yeah. have anywhere else.
3: Yeah, and that's why it's so important because it is, it's an interprofessional term. So you don't have to be a chiropractor to be, be someone who is very well-trained in birth biomechanics. You can be a, a, a massage therapist. You could be an osteopath. You could be a midwife. Some of my greatest biomechanical teachers you for example um gail Kelly, <laughs> uh nicole morales i mean i could keep naming lots of people they're midwives they are julie, julie Kilzer. um they they're not they're not car drivers. so just because you might be in one certain discipline or discipline or profession i should say doesn't mean that you're the expert and that you don't have a lot of things to learn from other people in other professions that you can then fold in so Uh, For example, Ann and I do a lot more soft tissue work than your maybe typical chiropractor. We do um, things that we've learned from midwives. We do lots of spitting baby stuff. Uh, So it's basically somebody who focuses on the structures, the biomechanical structures, so uh, fascia, ligaments, uh, the muscles, bones, all the things. And then the nervous system behind that as well. But all of the things that might influence the, the balance of the uterus. So, we're not actually working on the uterus, we're, we're working on things that are kind of all around it. And they might influence um, the the torsion of the uterus. And then that might possibly influence the position the baby takes. So, one of the really cool things from all this is that, um, and I need to, I want to point out that there's no evidence for this. It, this is all anecdotal, but. And I know from our forums that it's, it, it, I mean, I, it, every, we all know that this happens, that the um, the same factors that tend to, the imbalances that tend to cause baby to baby decide to go, um, and of course, we never know for sure. But those same factors also cause other position or also may provide a tendency, a biomechanical tendency for the baby to choose other positions that could be difficult for labor. So if the baby turns yeah, after one adjustment, it's still really important to continue chiropractic care uh, to prevent things like uh, biomechanical influences that might uh, cause the baby to maybe tend to be posterior, which is a huge uh, put baby suit or posterior. And I don't, I don't want to go into like all specifics because we could talk all, you know, for the next hour. Yeah, But if there, there's more. what I'm saying is there's more benefit uh, for the birth. At, for after-
1: yeah no I love I love this point you're making and Anne's nodding her head she I think agrees too that yeah. this um that that breach positioning can actually be a gift in a way yes. because it's like a red flag a yellow flag that raises like hey 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 things are not as they seem and um because you and others Anne, and and you know many of us in this newly developing kind of intercollaboration, understanding things that have previously not really been understood, um, are, are trying to pioneer a, a support system, a mechanism in collaboration in our systems-level care, whereby people who discover this yellow flag can have consistent and long-term success and and, and attention to changing the the birth biomechanical issues that are present. And, and Breach is one of those, like, hey, pay attention, pay attention, no, something's yes. not right. Yeah. Sure.
0: Talk to patients about the fact that breach um, is a symptom of problems. It's not yeah. necessarily the problem, right?
3: Yeah. And yes,
0: I want your baby to go head down. And I, I'm not going to make your baby hit go head down. I'm going to add balance to your body so that uh, maybe with this, this, uh, this ease, this balance, this room that they should have had all along, they can make that choice that's more advantageous and less stressful to everyone. But once they're head down, you can't stop. That almost indicates even more that you need to continue with this and keep balance and have things go well. And when you don't, um, you know, sometimes you have some interesting stories about how things go over time. I
3: think it's also also important to note that it's not just about the baby, as Anne said, it's not just about the baby turning. Um, It's about creating balance. Uh, the goal isn't necessarily to get the baby to turn. We're, we're not turning baby. We're, we're creating balance so the baby can make the best choice for for their particular situation. Um, but one thing we have noticed, and again, I always like to point out when I am very much in as a doula uh, to, for, for uh, making sure that when I'm saying something that's not based on research, that I acknowledge it. So this is not based on research. But the research that I would love to see, because anecdotally, see so much of it is, Babies, I believe, are more likely to turn during an ECB, significantly more likely. This is my theory and many other chiropractic theories, if they've been having regular body work so during um, the last two to three weeks, the chiropractic or other kinds of body work. Uh, and that's something I Absolutely. think a lot of people, they think it's like an either-or. Like, am I going to focus on trying to get my baby to turn on their own or I'm going to do an ECB? We can all work together there's benefits absolutely if you're
1: making that yes. choice as well as a provider as a provider who does do be myself um it, it's absolutely one of my requirements i mean it's one of the reasons i've had consistently an 84 85 ecb success rate is because i require body work before i will do it because it there's just like all the things that can make it successful like we should do that and also like caitlin has uh-huh. noticed that the spinning baby stuff that turns a lot of babies right then the chiropractic mm-hmm. that turns a lot of babies so actually i i have to do less cp because the babies are responding to less invasive techniques so so going back to that question we had about like along the spectrum so we could read on spinning babies we could download that book we could find a chiropractor especially one who focuses in the perinatal period we could go to that chiropractor and we they would do what they would what kind of hands-on things do you, someone who's not familiar with chiropractic at all, and tell us, like, when they come into your office, what do they do? What do you, what do, you do to them?
0: I'm going to um, look at what's happening as far as the balance in their body and their pelvis, at the muscles and ligaments that are surrounding this area, but even further afield than just the pelvis, I'm going to look at how their knees and their feet are working, what's happening with their shoulders. How can I add ease to your body so that it's more relaxed all over, um, less tense? Uh, how can I talk to you about activities that you do throughout your day, the position that you sleep in, how you sit, how you get up from a chair, you know, all of these things to try to add ease. And some of them are very subtle, but can really make a huge difference. Um, what kind of shoes are you wearing? You know, I'm trying to look at at everything here.
1: That's so, that's so holistic. It's so thorough. Yeah.
0: but these, you never know when one of these fine points might just be the thing, you know, combined yeah. with everything else.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's brilliant., yeah. So um, couple, oh,
0: go, yeah, go for. It.
3: It, so in terms of um, working to people who are focusing on first uh, doing things that might encourage their baby to turn on their own, uh, other than the things we've mentioned, posture, postural changes, which is carpra can help you with, also, there's also um, advice on that and you know, training babies. Biomechanical things that Ann just mentioned. Um, we already talked about spinning babies, and again, I think the website's great, but getting an actual consultant, like uh, either a doula to work on, with you one on one, we do FaceTime, like you don't have, we don't, we can do it over, virtually, or somebody like Ann, who's a parent educator, can actually do a class. Uh, there's that acupuncture. There's um, I usually really encourage my my clients if if it if they can if they can possibly afford it, be doing ac- uh, acupuncture as well. Also doing um a my abdominal massage. There's another which is atmat, our vego techniques of my abdominal massage is the certification you wanna look for, the pregnancy certification. There's there's a homeopathic remedy called Spatilla. There's all sorts of all sorts of you oh, know man. like folk remedies, you know, old that we don't have research on, but, uh, but there's all sorts of things that you can try doing, you know, flips in the swimming pool. So I go through all of those with clients and I tell them that they're going to feel really overwhelmed after I go through all these things. And then we talk about decision-making. Um, so what some people want to just do everything, like they want to take a week and do everything, absolutely everything and spend all the money and do all the stuff and do everything. Some people, it's way too overwhelming and they need stop and I love I learned from you actually that kind of some of the language and about that like is this helpful does this create peace in your life uh so we talked about how sometimes trying to get your baby to turn can turn into basically like a full-time job and it can be sometimes more stressful As stress I believe again don't have a lot of research on this but we know that when stressful events happen like right now we are seeing a breach of wave we call them um and during the California fires, we saw one. We've seen them during. This is anecdotal. It's all of us on professionals on, on forums and it com- conferences say, "Hey, have you had a lot more?" But I would love to see actual research on that. Uh, so we go over how to narrow down what they want to do. What's sounding good for them? What's their you know what's their budget? What what's their time frame like? What do they want want to do so that the actual stress of trying to get the baby to turn doesn't keep the baby turning.
1: Right. Oh my gosh. That's a brilliant connection. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny. It's sad, but. And yeah, then the next, yeah. and then the next thing would be because of the time crunch,
3: <laughs> the next thing would be to talk about it and to get her yeah. sure, as it, this is from a doula standpoint, standpoint um, the best, um, uh, there's a very good comprehensible article on the evidence-based birth website on ECV. uh, there's an amazing, if, there, if this is only for professionals, but there's an amazing, uh, I mean, everybody else can get it too. If you're planning a VBAC on the VBACFAC.com website, for professionals, you need professional membership, but there's a fantastic, totally research-based uh, lecture on uh, on ship and VBAC, so that combination. But even if you're not a VBAC, which is vaginal birth after cesarean, sorry, um, that, there's, that information is great too. So, we kind of get a plan. Like, what's your timeframe like with the understanding that if things start getting too overwhelming, it's okay to just say, screw it. I'm just going to stop everything right now and then go forward. Um, I do encourage people to start researching and deciding whether or not they want to have an ECV or two ACVs or three. Some people really don't really spend on more than one um, before, like right away, because uh, sometimes people think, Earlier in my career, I had a lot of people who would say, oh, I just really want to do all this, do all this, and I'll deal with the TV at 30 some weeks because the early sex habit, or my doctor won't do one before 38 weeks, so I'm just gonna get my baby to turn and I don't want to think about the baby. And then it's kind of, then sometimes the baby doesn't turn and they're stuck with this big decision. And that's the same goes for um, if the baby still doesn't turn, deciding about what kind of option they want to do from vaginal breach to a um, planned cesarean and all the possibilities in between. So I do encourage people, and I've flip-flopped about this uh, over the years, but I just learned that even though it is overwhelming to get all the options at at first, it takes some people time to have that processing on the back burner. So the time to talk about it is not when they're scheduling the cesarean. Right, right. One of the things, yeah, and then just lastly, um, this is when that whole experience, the grief process, also comes into, and the biggest thing with that I find is denial, which is fed into a lot by the, sometimes by their providers, that because what the provider solution is, their solutions are, uh, the, like a medical solution would be ECV, then cesarean. So it, it's this denial that there's nothing else they can do. And the baby will probably turn, the baby will probably turn, most babies turn with please don't worry about it, you don't need to do anything else, don't, just calm down and kill the ECB and then we'll deal with it after that, that's not enough time to process if you want major abdominal surgery, like it, it's really not from a psychological standpoint for most people,
1: so yeah. uh, so that's a little bit about that. That's brilliant, <clears throat> that's brilliant, well let's take this moment to drop into ECB and um, because I do this, I'm going to yes. talk about <laughs> this, but um, I invite either of you to to ask questions if I'm not clear. Um, so, ECV stands for um, external cephalic version, and it ex- it's describing exactly what happened. Um, from the outside of your body, external, a provider helps to take the head, the, the cephalic part of the baby, um, and convert it or invert it um, from up to down. Um, so, external cephalic version um, is if it could be boiled down in a mechanism, it's essentially a massage. Um, The degree of pressure, the degree of force that's used is very varied depending on the provider and the location. But it's massaging uh, the baby inside the womb from the outside of your belly um, from head up to head down. And um, various providers have various um, comfortability With offering this. Um, Some don't offer it at all. Um, Some will offer it uh, very hesitantly. Some will offer it if only certain conditions are met, like the mom is numb with an epidural and in an OR under ultrasound guidance. And some will enthusiastically offer this option with lots of evidence-based care in lots of locations without any need for extra accoutrement (laughs) um so so researching ECV in your area is an added stress because not it's not the same not apples to apples you have to know actually not only are there providers that offer it but what how what method do they use Um, so the, the I'm not an obstetrician but cannot speak to the obstetric method specifically but again like Like Caitlin helps us use the language very anecdotally from the outside. All of us who have worked with people who are seeing obstetricians for this process um, have seen varying degrees of success, have seen varying degrees of comfort for the person who has the baby in their uterus, and have seen uh, varying degrees of um, the kind of language that's used around this technique from being very encouraging. To being very fear-mongering. Um, and so it's really not a one size fits all. You have to know who in your community offers this and what method they offer. Um, so I always um, recommend um, if you are in the situation, you start talking to your provider or you start researching a provider somewhere that would do this for you. It's important to ask, where would you perform the external cephalic version? Um, and if the answer is in an OR, you get a very different picture of what procedure is about to happen than if the answer is I can come to your house. Right. Um, The next question that I would ask, I would encourage is um, what is your success rate? Um, Now, the challenge with this is that it's not easy to verify. Um, There are no, (laughs) there's no real records kept of this except for that provider themselves. And um, we don't, totally know if that's tracked well or truthful or what have you. So so it's a tricky one. Um, but, but on the whole, we're going to believe that providers are truthful and honest. And on the whole, there's kind of a range. So if they're saying that they have a 50% success rate, that's quite different than what we would expect to be more normal, which is about the 70 to 80% success rate, right? Um, do either of you know of providers in your area that are quoting a higher success rate than that? Uh, there's one in my area uh, that if I'm
3: working, if it's, if I've been working with that person for more than two, three ish weeks, we've had um, almost a hundred percent success together. Wow. And and I would I would reiterate that you're the I believe that it's the skill of the provider that's the number one factor in a successful ECV. Uh, I, I yes. yeah I don't like saying successful in an ECV that ends up with the turnover baby because occasionally there yeah. are. I mean, if it's, if occasionally there are some things that are not biomechanical that are reasons yes. that the baby is there. And then the baby not turning in those situations is successful because the baby okay. knew what the baby was doing. Yeah. yeah uh, that's right. So, so uh, you can, again, it's the best thing to do is to reach out to doulas and to consultants who uh, spend a lot of time going to ECV and going to ECVs, going to talking to people who've had ECVs on, webs- on forums with people concerned about ECVs in your local community. So most of us can in chiropractic, for sure, because um most of us can give some suggestions about who actual we do.
1: specific people, right? Because actual you hear about them. People. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah.
3: And and yeah. I would add just having um I do always suggest that you have a doula go with you to so the ECV right now, which shelter in place that's gonna be on on your, on your phone, but that's that's okay too. Um and there's there's many things you can do that we can talk to you about to maximize your odds of ECD, uh resulting in the baby term. So there's there's many there's many things uh, and there's also many choices that people have about ECV that they don't realize that they have. Provider is just one of them. You can go to a different hospital. You can go to you don't have to have the provider you've been working with do the ECV. You can go to somebody else for the ECV and then go back to your provider after the baby birth. That's
1: fine. Yeah. I've had a number of clients that are not, my clients did not want a home birth or a birth center birth. We're not interested in that, but we're very interested in a more gentle approach to ECV. And so I've done a number of, of opportunities to turn babies that I didn't actually ever end up delivering. And so I always recommend that, like if your provider is saying, no, I won't do that. Or if your provider is saying, I'll only do that with an epidural in place in the OR um, and that's not something you're comfortable with, um, I always recommend maybe looking for some community-based providers if you don't want to or can't find any hospital-based providers that will help you. And then as you were saying, like in preparation for it, um, certainly body work and all spinning babies and all the things we've been talking about. But one thing that I have noticed over the years that makes a profound difference is inversion so the mom's body actually get um, n- non-gravity oriented so basically your bum is in the air um, and when you when you do knee chest is what we call it it's fairly uncomfortable, but mom is on her knees and then her she lowers herself all the way down to her chest, not just hands, not just elbows but even all the way down to her chest. Um, then we stay like that for kind of as long as we can sometimes. Uh, 10, 15 minutes, um, sometimes an hour, Um, and it's kind of as long as mom can handle it, and if it's a very short amount of time, she kind of goes down to her side, and then we'll get back up again a couple of times to be gravity neutral and then gravity negative, so that we really can give the baby the best chance possible to pull out of the pelvis, because the higher the baby is in her body, the more likely there's room for this baby to move. Um, So to me, that has been one of the most powerful and empowering personal things that a person can do without the need to research anyone else. So um, you just tell your your OB, even if it's gonna be in the OR under epidural with ultrasound guidance, you say, before we do anything, I'm gonna spend half an hour on my knee and you just are gonna wait. Like that's something you can do. And right. that has a high chance of
3: creating success. Um, so, is this something you guys recommend? Yeah, actually, I um, I, I always, I, I try to attend, as I said, ECVs with my clients. Um, I've always done the, the basic putting baby stuff before an ECV. After I took one of your classes, I, I was doing open knee tests. And more than just open knee tests, I, I was doing, it's just hilarious to me that they get to the hospital and that they're. Trying to get the baby to turn and what they do for an hour hour and a half before that is have them lay in a reclined position while they're doing all the stuff that yeah. you know it's like oh, it doesn't make sense <laughs> so i've been either doing i actually learned from a nurse uh who does a lot of ecds that she does the bed in the opposite or has around from dellenberg yeah mm-hmm. I, do, I was trying mm-hmm. to use not use uh, you know, a oh yeah sorry uh, but you can tilted tilted bed well yeah <laughs> And so um and then I also but after class one time you said ideally forty five minutes. So I actually have to do it in forty five minutes of open knee test with um and prevent the back vaccine from that. I just have a partner hold the That's there's the a wrong. great picture yeah, I hold the yeah. and then it's something. We we just use to cheap the hospital, but you know, take yeah. care of a or whatever you want. Um there's a good picture of that on the many babies site if you search open knee test. Yeah. So doing, yeah. doing that before. Reducing anxiety, so again having being very well prepared for it, you're describing it. I've seen videos of you doing cB and your skills are just magical, but most most CDBs I've been to do not look or feel like massage. most hospital yeah. ECBs, uh, some of them honestly look to me like surgery from the outside like they're mm. really aggressive, but baby yeah. turn and it's way better than getting a variant for, you know, for most people but so they feel being bad. prepared watching lots of, you know, watching YouTube videos on it, uh, having support there, talking about what it's gonna be like. It's also very important to understand your options in terms of the, there's a few drug options, medication options for ECV. Some are based on research, some like fentanyl or not. Um, And the, under spinal is, but the research isn't, it's very slight increase. So that article I mentioned of the evidence-based birth uh, research on, just go into Google, evidence-based birth research on uh, breach version. It'll pop up, and that goes over some of the things that can
0: influence the churn rate with an ECB. Wow, Uh, thank you for that. Ann, you were gonna add something, go ahead. I'm really excited to hear what you guys are saying about um, the inversion prior, because that is not happening around here. I do tell them to do the spinning babies activities. I I say, be in there doing the sideline release, while you're waiting for them to come into your room. And I I do
3: need to say this just because I have one of my, Nicole, actually in the back of my head say, um, there are times where the baby's head is actually stuck under the rib. Not not the bum stuck. So from a biomechanical standpoint, it's really important that you have a provider evaluate, hopefully like one of the, a couple of the OBs that I work with in, in Santa Cruz, they, they know how, they understand biomechanics enough that they can say, oh, this baby is right here, the bottom's right here, the head's right here. So if the baby happens to be one of those babies where the restriction is actually at the top, yeah. and this is something that's not addressed by a lot of body workers, a lot of body workers are working mostly on lower uterine segment, on the structures around that, thinking that we're trying to get the baby to come up, so the baby can turn. But sometimes, baby is, I, I hate using the word stuck too, but is the restriction is actually at the respiratory diaphragm, which is higher up, yes, good higher up um, the, above the year. So having yeah. somebody evaluate for that before you do, just for that one, I just want to say that one caveat about doing the inversion. No, it's so, yeah.
1: in it. it's so smart. Yeah, it's so smart. And it's a really good reminder for the providers who are listening that it's mm-hmm. never a one size fits all. But, but I think the proportion is yeah. so different, right? Like we're talking the vast majority of babies are, are really need to come up. Um, but, but just like, you know, like I teach about asyncliticism, right? So asyncliticism is the same thing. The vast majority of asynclitic babies are anterior asynclitic, but some of them are posterior (laughs) and we use a totally different skill set to solve that. So that's a great reminder. Thank you. Thank you, Caitlin. Um, so, um, once they have found a, a ECV provider, um, And they have worked on their emotions, getting ready for this. They've seen providers that or done the spinning babies worksheets or been inverted for a time. They're ready. They go in for this procedure. Um, You guys have seen it from the outside. Caitlin, you're saying it's really rough for some people. Um, Yeah. So like, how does somebody deal with it? Like what you've been in several, many of these, like, I know how I tell my mamas be ready, but what, what do you guys recommend? Honestly, in Southern California, it's
0: so difficult. There are a lot of different health organizations. I can't keep track of the, all the different providers, and sometimes yeah. they're going to a group, and yeah. they don't. I don't have great choices for them. I'm trying to develop more choices, but I don't have great things to tell them at this point. And you guys telling me that a fifty percent percentage uh, success rate isn't great. I'm like, that's pretty good for around here. If I had that's less bad. than that's less than the research That that's yes.
3: in Southern California you're under the re- oh I think so I think I so, have a definitely. couple there's a couple people, like if they're willing to drive there's some people I might have names for but anyway we'll talk about and out then
0: that I, I tend to find wow. that feel pretty beat up after the whole thing it's it's not a kind of procedure and I did have wow. somebody great who was you know a mile away
1: from me um retired you know oh yeah it it seems to be the older providers tend to be yeah. more gentle. I think I don't know what happened in the in the seventies and eighties that made this an aggressive uh procedure, but midwives around the globe have had this procedure as part of their skill set in fact, midwives are undoubtedly the ones that showed obstetricians how to do this um a hundred plus years ago sure. um, and The midwives that I know and train and trained with and practice with, my colleague, um, do not describe this as an aggressive procedure. Um, And so again, I'm just going to ring the bell that there are so many levels of this care. Um, In my years, 20 years of of doing ECBs, um, I warn my clients by saying, this should not hurt. If this hurts, we stop. So we're going to work together and I'm going to need your feedback every step of the way. I'm also going to be asking for your baby's feedback. And together, we're going to work on helping your baby find the way down. Um, And honestly, if it hurts, I stop. Um, And even with that, I still have a very high success rate. And I think that this is because we come at it with a really different perspective. um, And I think Maybe ECV, to go off into kind of a philosophical perspective, ECV might be one of the greatest kind of bellwethers showing the difference in care models because um, this sort of method of power over and I know the way, let me turn your baby, is very obstetric method um, versus the let's work together power with um, this is a massage that shouldn 't hurt is very much more midwifery now, certainly, there are many people who cannot see midwives should not see midwives. their risk status or their situation in life or uh, whatever means that they do need high risk obstetricians um, and so this is not to say that vilify one or the other, but it does point out a, a basic philosophy of care difference um, that I think is is notable if if the birthing person is Going pregnant person is going to receive an ECV um, with an obstetrician. Um, Caitlin, one of the things that I love about you is your research focus. And um, I know that I've heard you quote it before, and, and I, I've read this too, that, that actually an ECV with um, epidural or spinal guide or spinal um, medication that makes the person numb is evidence-based. Well, um, there's a
3: slight, we, so, and again, when we talk about research, like, I, I don't like saying that it, it I'm just going to refer back to that um, evidence-based birth article, because then you can see the actual numbers, so there is a slight, the research does show that there's a slight, and slight is a weird, that's just my term, like, for you, you could look at those numbers, you might not think that that slight um, increase in um, the baby turning with vinyl. It's not a big one, and I and I don't have it memorized. The actual step right now, but we can bring that up. Um, it, it's, uh, but I do want to. I think what you pointed out about there being three. So I talk about this with my clients as well. There's three people that are involved in this term, directly involved in the turn. I mean, obviously there's energy from your family and your doula and everything, but there's three people who are active participants in the turn. That's the provider, the OB or the midwife or whoever. And the or not whoever the OB is, um, and then there's the um, then there or or the medicine doctor too, um, and then there is the uh, baby. So a lot of people forget about the baby that the baby is part of this turn. Uh, and then there's the the birthing or the pregnant person. So the pregnant person communicating with the baby, just like if the baby was already out. Baby's pretty usually this is happening in 37, 38 weeks. The baby's pretty got neurological development at that point. So you're already communicating with your baby. And so telling your baby, visualizing doing all these things during the ECB, trusting your provider, finding a provider you can trust so that the three of you are working together to turn the baby. Uh, and one of the things that's been put at, so to go back to this, why is there this possibility that there might be a slight increase? in turn rate with uh, epidural, My theory is that the ducks, the OBs are less intimidated. Yeah. So that they're that they're worried about hurting people. They maybe no. have different techniques that you use. And that's why I see fentanyl being pushed at more and more hospitals now. We have zero research. If there is any and anybody watching this knows it, I'd love to see it. We have zero research showing that fentanyl helps in fact uh a a H B turn. It might, you know, make people feel more comfortable but we shouldn't be telling them that it helps uh, a turn if it doesn't. And it it's putting, when you take these three people and you put two of them on an opiate, the likelihood that everyone's going to be able to work together to get that to happen. So um, there hasn't been a lot of conversation about that. That me. And there certainly are many things that you can do to kind of, it. and then on the at the same time, there's a lot of people who the stress of, um, and the anxiety from getting a PCD, they're, they're, they would prefer to get that. Pill. And I completely, I completely support that as well. It's just that I want yeah. them to know that that's not
1: recent. So Yeah, I would agree. And it's the same with the epidural, like getting an epidural place is not without risk. That also has risk and repercussion. Oh. Um, and about 3% of the time, it doesn't work. And about, you know, we have this other small percentage of, you know, fluid leak and headaches and like like it's not without risk um but but if it is something that feels like it's going to help you bring peace and relaxation around this choice you have made, then i'm totally for it and i think that will be a part of the decision making process but i love that you pointed out like putting two of the three people on opioids doesn't generally create good working relationships we see that in the workplace we also see that in obstetrics like opiates are generally not the answer. <clears throat> but if that is what brings you peace, if the idea of relaxing completely into the hands of the provider makes you feel more relaxed, I agree. I think that that, that is a choice that should be on the table. However, the vast majority of our listeners feel differently um, and feel like actually they would like to be an active and conscious participant. In the process that deeply involves the very core of their body um, and that the risks to the baby of narcotics on board, opioids on board, are, are also something they want to avoid. Um, and so um, the point that you made that I really want to drive home that to me is maybe the most important part of this whole process is that you trust your provider, that you have a connection in such a way that you're like, We can do this vulnerable, scary thing together, and I will let you put your hands deeply into the center of my body. Like, that's what makes it successful. I think. Yeah. I mean, certainly the provider has to have skill. We have to know what we're touching. We have to know how we're touching. Um, But, but more than that, it's the relationship development. And on the whole, I think that's why, you know, there's all this debate in various circles about why midwives should be allowed to do ETV, which makes me giggle, but um, aside from who gives who permission, um, (laughs) I think this is why we're perhaps so, so successful with such a gentle touch, is that actually forcing it is not necessary when all parties are involved actively. You know, it's it's based on trust and respect. So I respect this baby, say, in the process. I respect and I know what a no feels like from a baby. I respect this person, She's not just a vessel for this baby. This person is an active, sovereign part of the process. I am touching her core. I mean, we do ECV. You're up under their ribs. You're down in their pubic bone, right above their pe- We are into the crook of their head. We are deeply in yeah, the center so, of their you're, body. You're, yeah, you're pushing on
3: psoas, which can have, psoas can have so many emotional responses. So to, many. This, all sorts of stuff, yeah. So, so many, and if
1: we have If we have any history of sexual abuse or sexual assault or trauma, which, by the way, underreported, they say one in five women have, which anecdotally, I would say more like 80% of women do.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if we have a history of sexual trauma, we have the potential to activate that trauma by this touch. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I think even more people should have the option to numb out during this process because it might be too much. Uh, but also people should have the choice to have a conscious, clear, informed connection with a provider that they trust in this process.
3: Yeah. And um, it's this is a yeah. it's, it's really good time to back up even and say, even though ECB is research-based, um, that it's safer than a cesarean, it's still okay not to have one. Like, right. is yeah. that, and it's okay. It's, it's okay to skip all this stuff. Like, we talked about that these are options. So all yeah. the spinning babies, changing your life uh, to, to try and get your baby to turn, spending all this money, doing all that stuff. Um, some people just choose to go straight to either planning a vaginal breech birth. And if the baby turns before, then they'll just unplan that and go back to their their first plan. Or they plan to go directly to a planned cesarean. And those are all, there's no bad choices here. There's really not. As long as those choices are based in um, in that they're educated choices, so that you have the actual numbers, the numbers, and they're not pressure, at, and like they, they're and not pressure the choices. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. and that you're not fully, or course, or emotionally manipulated into it. That you feel like you've been giving. and and I'm talking about both ways. You're planning a home birth, and you feel like your home birth midwife and your and your super holistic doula are pressuring you into it as an an ECV you don't want or into a vaginal breach you don't want. That's just as horrific as being pressured to a cesarean you don't want. So it's first about looking at the number, getting true informed consent. We don't have time to go into it, but the I mean, um is method for informed consent is phenomenal, and that's what... It She's does. our next so, guest. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm so excited! Okay, well, so everybody watch that. Go over it. Um, and, and actually in the Know Your Rights uh, class that I recommended with First Monopoly,
2: she goes into that
3: as well. But there's a way that you should be, that writers that and as chiropractors as well, it's struggle. It's not easy, but there's a way to go through informed consent that's respectful and that's not going to cause any emotional coercion. And we should all be trained in that. Unfortunately, there's not there's not widespread training in trauma prevention uh, and in informed consent, in true informed consent. So I, I, I do really want to make that point that just because we're talking about all these options and a lot of them are more holistic options or less intervention options, that doesn't mean that those are the right options for for you. Just get the information, have it first get the, the information gathering, know what your options actually are, then check in with your heart, do some mindfulness work, do whatever you need to do. If that means that you just need to forget about all this for a weekend and and go and, you know, like have a romantic dinner with your partner, something clear your head. Um, and, and once you feel like you're centered, then focus on making a love-based versus a fear-based decision. This is something that the ICPA director, Janie uh, Ohm, who was the director for years, used to talk about, and uh, president of ICPA. That when we look at how we make decisions, if first you have birth, if first you have a, a good, solid research base, then the next step is to step away from that and tap into your heart. And to ask yourself, is this right for me? Am I going to feel good about this choice? And if you're doing that, you're making an instinct love-based choice versus a fear-based choice. It's always right. No matter what the outcome is, you still feel empowered by it. So that's really, um, and, and and that that goes with any choice of birth, but with this as well, it, 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 if you, it's not- well, I think you, it's any
1: choice in life. Yeah. yeah. yeah
3: exactly. <laughs> it should be love-based. But yeah, but to, to, to prevent trauma from um, having a birth that, that wasn't the birth of one, uh, or it wasn't one that you felt, and, and many people have root babies, end up with a birth that wasn't the birth they wanted, but they, um, but if it's one that you still felt they chose, given all the, that you were, it was an empowered choice, that's what prevents long-term trauma.
1: So that Absolutely. should be all of our focus. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always say that. The root of birth trauma is not what was done to you. It's your unmet expectations, And so getting really clear about what to expect, what's possible, who's going to help you, and making those decisions based on love and not fear is a huge, huge part of it, of, of avoiding that trauma. That's for sure. Um, Caitlin, you're such a wealth of information. I adore you. Thank you for being on this call. Um, let's shift now, Anne, uh, and, <clears throat> and um, let's say that this baby um, – we, we tried everything, and now it's 38, 39, 40 weeks, babies still breech. How do you help counsel someone about their choice? And and like Caitlin has pointed out, like you pointed out, there's a wide spectrum. We can choose to schedule a cesarean, walk into a hospital, not in labor, lay down and have our baby delivered that way, right? Um, that can be very empowering and very... Uh, relaxing for some people. Finally, the stress is over. My baby's here. Whew, I'm so glad. Yes. It can also be incredibly anxiety producing for some people to think mm-hmm. of that, right? Um, then on, we can go down the spectrum all the way down to forget this. I'm just going to stay home by myself. I'm going to do this totally unassisted. Nobody even needs to know I'm doing this. I'm going to hide from this whole experience. I'm going to be private. I'm not going to involve anyone. That can be very empowering for some people. And terrifying for others. So we have this crazy wide variety, amazing amounts of different responses to the same situation by by widely different people. How do we how do we like what do you say to someone who's in the midst of trying to figure out I can't turn this baby I've tried everything or I'm due tomorrow like I have to make a choice How am I going to birth this baby How do you counsel them?
0: First of all, you can try, and know that the baby still might not do what you want them to do right? You can talk to the baby. You can do all these activities. It might be something that's actually uh, 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 how your body's put together or something with the baby that, where they're making this choice. They're doing the best that they can. So I tell people it's okay to try it. It's, it's very empowering to, um, to work through these processes and know that you did your very best to get what you wanted. Um, if you do your best, you're more likely to get what you want. And when you look back on it, you'll say, you know, I really did try. Um, There are hospitals in my area, um, doctors that will support uh, vaginal breech birth. So I will give that information out freely and tell women that perhaps they'd like to go have a consult, go talk to this um, practice, see what's going on, see what you can do. Maybe set that up ahead of time and not wait till the very last minute for that. And then um, sometimes people do end up with, C-sections for this. Um, it, there's
1: a whole Well, whole, my. Okay. I was just going to say, like, I, I, I'm going to just pause on, put a pin in that statement because this is one of the things that I feel like I want to advocate for is that nobody ends up with the cesarean ever. <laughs> that actually, it's always an informed decision right. based on providers that are willing to sit at the bedside and talk and talk. Talk through everything until that birthing person feels like they have enough information to actually make a decision. Because ending up is the language that we use in our culture. That 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 sort of gives way to the idea that somebody else is in charge. Right. And I like you know I know you didn't mean anything by that. I'm not picking on you at all. I, I just this is the language in our culture, and I, I feel so passionate about even in the midst of emergency that the the person who is most involved with the outcome is the one making the call right. and that's that's a very midwifery kind of a focus. I know mm-hmm. obstetrics does not have that particular opinion all the time um but but it I think it's right <laughs> i think I think it's right that the 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 birthing person, the pregnant person
0: makes the
1: choice makes the choice they have to live with the situation like okay, so you have a cesarean at forty eight hours you get discharged. No OB is going to be there helping you get out of bed to figure out how to use your stomach muscles again. Nobody's going to, no one from your surgery is going to be there helping you learn how to nurse again. Like they don't get the right to make that call. That's, that's my controversial opinion. Um, That many, many people will birth by cesarean, but they will birth by cesarean by choice because given all the situations and all the counsel and all the research, it was the best choice for them. That's, that's my.
0: Yeah.
1: So.
3: No, I do Sorry. Yeah, I, I think I, you know I think we're all saying the same thing there's also yeah. that, you know when is not a choice which we've talked yeah. about a lot there's when, when there's emotional coercion involved when there's yeah. spawning involved when there's not, when there's misinformation um yeah. and I, I I was shocked by the misinformation in terms of passing off you know like guidelines as research based when yeah. sometimes they're not there's so much from people that really should know way better than that uh so some sometimes even though it, it is still a choice it's not really a choice because it's it's they've been bullet into it or it's based on yeah. uh it's based on lies or things that it's yeah. not, maybe not intentionalized, but it's based on the so um it's important to hold space for, for that as well
1: yeah it is and uh, you know sorting facts from fiction is a problem we have on a global scale right now so we're <laughs> for- we're living in the age of disinformation, and unfortunately, it exists in all facets of society, so we're seeing it here um, in obstetrics. But c- certainly, the links that we're posting to this talk and the evidence that we're sharing um, is not, cannot be misconstrued. This is true. And um, in terms of um, actually making the call, um, turning all the things that could turn my baby, are I'm I'm still maybe using them, but I've lost faith. I've done this for so long, or I've tried so many intensive things. It's not working. Now I have to birth my baby because you can't stay pregnant forever. Somehow your baby must come out. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you counseled them to look for alternatives, to have consult, to meet with people. Caitlin, what would you add to that?
3: Well, the first thing, I've hopefully already gone over this whole spectrum, hopefully a few weeks before. So yeah. just, kind of, just kind of touched on it, we don't go into the details, so that they already know if if the baby doesn't turn, these are my options. So usually yeah. within those, you know, and I and I, I am fortunate that often the latest that, I, I mean, I have had some people come see me at 41 weeks, um, yeah. but I, now I usually get referrals by like 37, but like around the time that they're, and if it's from a home birth midwife, I'm getting them at 28, 29, 30, yeah. 31, um, We've gone through the whole spectrum. and again, I, I think it's really important, anybody who's working with people that we, in no way impose our agenda, especially if you're it's if, if a doula or anybody consulting, anybody doing advocacy work, that we might make a very, very, very different choice than what our clients make. Uh, and that's fine. That's, that's, we're all different and that's awesome. And we need to, and support. we all
1: get that right individually. Yeah, and we get
3: yes. to support them, whatever yep. So a lot of the things in this spectrum are things that I personally would never do. And, right. um, and I, and I, and if there's no research based on it if there's an increase you know i i don't want them i want them to make sure that they look into all of those things we do know that there's about 10% of babies need some sort of help um, when they come out so if they're even thinking about an una birth i i tell them you know that i tell them about resources and then the other mm-hmm. side of the spectrum would be a, a planned area they have so many choices with that as well so just because yep. they were in a hospital just because their provider um, maybe they're working with a provider who doesn't want to. If we weren't during during COVID, like they, there's a one guest limit in the OR, so their doula can't come in or their mom can't come in, only their partner can come in. So that could be something important uh, to go over what they're what the things that are really important for them in a plan. There would be delayed cord clamping, getting the baby um, in skin to skin immediately. This is all assuming that the baby's fine. But these are things that should be absolutely standard and at, at, at options for everyone. Um, having no break in if you have your partner with you, even during the um, initial uh, catheterization and the, um, and, uh, the epidural final pl- uh, placement, and continuing having your support person with you all the way through until you leave the OR. There's many people who feel just horribly abandoned that they aren't with their partner, during that beginning time and that end time,
1: so and through recovery, things, even like an hour in oh, recovery, yeah. I mean, sometimes there, there's, there's some, totally solitude. Yeah,
3: there's some places here, there's some uh, hospitals in the Bay Area where you're alone in recovery, where you're you're. It's like the partner might get in, but your doula is not even allowed in recovery. Uh, allowed, I hate that, but we're, yeah. it's not like we can break into the recovery. I'm <laughs> your Doula's not there. Uh, and then it's also important to kind of talk about. So you want to have a consult if you're thinking about a planned cesarean about all of your options with that. Where is the best place for that? You still need a birth plan for a planned cesarean. There's doctors who are highly skilled in things like and and really are on the the forefront of um, in California especially of things like doing um, delayed cord clamping, which we know is especially if the baby might be a little earlier than the baby who might have normally come out is um, incredibly
1: helpful for the baby right. and and and, and skin Thomas to skin and early breastfeeding and, and all right. these things we um, know yeah
3: clear, to clear get way,
1: that
3: having yeah. like we have one op here that will do the actual procedure in the equivalent of candlelight and then she turns on the light that yeah there's things happening places so and just mm-hmm. support to support the providers who are doing that and to you know mm-hmm. like celebrate them so that they know yeah. that you know that they're loved and that um that that we are that they're they're doing amazing work, As, and then within that spectrum, also one of the things that isn't talked about, kind of in the middle of that, is there is an option to have a um, to have a, a, a labor before cesarean. So I've worked with a lot of people who they've decided that they don't want to, they aren't comfortable with the research, and we can go into that too. Um, the, they, they're comfortable with vaginal birth, so they decide. To that they want a cesarean, but they, for example, um, if someone's been struggling with fertility for a long time, is maybe uh, knows that this is their only birth that they're ever going to have. I've had a few people, uh, more than a few, that I've worked with that, they just really, for a psychological uh, benefit for the birthing person, forget all the great things that it can do for the baby, but for the birthing person to experience some labor it sounds odd. A lot of people are like, why would you want to go through labor if you're happy? But there, for some people, that's an incredibly important process journey. So the and they would this, be
1: missing something really profound if they didn't yeah, get it.
3: Yeah. So yep. The pros, the pros of experience labor outweigh the the cons of not having a planned cesarean where you know who your doctor is, and in you might have whoever the on call doctor. So it's important that. Again, there's no right choice there's no right choice about this. It's about weighing the pros and cons of what is more, most important for you. Um, and then there are some people who are just they will they know immediately that if their baby doesn't turn, they've already thought about it for a while and they want to do anything to have a vaginal break. So um, we, that does require we go through those options, what those options are. It might mean a, a bunch of traveling. you know you can have one, but you need to travel. We do have some hospital options that are wonderful it's health, it's breach. Uh, around here. At
1: but there are travel. many places on the East Coast where the next provider is four states away. Right. right. Uh, so, so travel is real. Yeah, for a long time, um, and I think still, Dr. Brad Boots-Taylor in Atlanta, Georgia, took a lot of folks from a seven-state radius who would come in in their RV, um, RVs and, and wait in his neighborhood to come in and have a vaginal breech birth with him. Um, so yeah, if, if that is a desire, sometimes it takes a tremendous amount of effort to get that, which is another sign that our system is so, so broken, but there are choices. There are always choices, but we have started with saying There's always choices, even if nobody's telling you about them. right? Well, my goodness, what a fun and full conversation we've had. I'm so grateful to both of you, Uh, Anne Lundquist in Southern California, Caitlin Clark in the Bay Area. Uh, Thank you so much for both of you to bringing your heart and your information, your education, uh, your knowledge, wisdom to, uh, to us. I appreciate you both so much.
2: Augustine, this is such an honor to be, to, to do anything with you is such an honor. I've learned so much from you and I love, uh, I mean, I love, I love so much about what you do, but one of the biggest things is this, this, this joint commitment that we all have, I have to do to um, professional collaboration and to um, best supporting, putting in kind of our whole professional ego side aside and focusing
3: on the client as the center of care, always the client. So thank you so much for the work you're doing in yeah. making the big changes happen that
0: are bringing us in that direction.
1: Mm. Ditto, my friend. <laughs> thank
0: you for having me. And I feel like I've learned a lot just from being with you two tonight. Thank you. thank you. Oh,
1: and my goodness. Well, um, we're so happy that, that Southern California has you. And I hope we get to see each other someday in the future when travel returns. <laughs> thank you both.